The Evolve Network is now live at evolvenetwork.tv. Subscribe for meal plans, recipes, cooking shows, and our very own The Magic Pill and The Magic Plant, as well as access to my favorite documentaries. The Evolve Network is also home to our full library of podcasts, with new release podcasts airing first and in full on the channel. You can also watch selected vodcasts in a video format. Meanwhile, enjoy this highlight of our podcast and head over to evolvenetwork.tv for the full Evolve podcast experience. The Evolve with Pete Evans podcast is a conversation about my favorite ingredients for a healthy human experience. We take an informed look at topics that include nutritional and emotional well-being as well as expanded consciousness. I love exploring the topics that are not traditionally taught at school and take a deep dive into them with my special guests. I invite you to sit back and come along for the ride with an open mind and heart and please share with your family and friends as these podcasts may just be the seed from which many things will flourish from. Cheers. We've been using Waters Co. water filters for the last 10 years and I wholeheartedly trust my family's health with them. Waters Co., established 1977, have personal and domestic water filters, which turns your ordinary tap water into great tasting, alkaline, ionized mineral water, which removes up to 99.9% of fluoride, heavy metals, chemicals, and bacteria, so you can love your tap water again. The Bio 1000 is the latest edition of the BMP 1000 model and the culmination of over 40 years of experience and research into water filtration by some of the world's leading scientists. Waters Co. was first to market with natural gravity-fed systems, creating alkaline water way back in 1984, and have continued to lead the market in research and development, setting the benchmark for all other brands to follow. Please go to my webpage, PeteEvans.com, to learn more and to receive your special discount from my link on the products page. You're going to love it. Dr. Bear, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast once again. How are you, brother? Chef Pete, uh, wonderful and uh, good to be with you again, my friend, and very, uh, very happy to be here and thank you for having me. So what's going on? You look like a very healthy, healthy doctor. <laughs> That's quite unusual these days. <laughs> look at you, you, you're beaming health and vitality. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I think it's just a matter of uh, being outside all the time, which is uh, how my life is mostly. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see some of these uh, health experts that radiated uh, vibrancy like yourself, you know, that, that then some of these stories might be easier to digest. Yeah. You know, um, I, I, last time we were together, I told you a little bit about my background starting in the sports, you know, world of sports. And that always stuck with me. And when I got to doctoring and doing professional seminars, I was always highly dismayed by the look of the other doctors in the room. We were supposed to be beacons of health and, you know, coaching other people. And I always considered myself more of a health coach rather than a doctor. And uh, boy, the most unhealthy people I ever saw were at doctor seminars. It was it's interesting. Why do you think that is? Because I want to get into solutions with you today, but mm-hmm. I just find it so fascinating that the people that are that we would look up to for guidance, as you said, as a as a as a coach or a guide, often are the ones that, from an outward uh, observation, 
seem to be some of the unhealthiest looking people in the world. And, and it's just a, a, a physical perception. But there's enough anecdotal and, and scientific evidence, I believe, to show that many people in the medical field actually do not have um, uh, a very long and healthy lifespan. Do you want to do you want yeah. to dig into that for me from a from a spiritual and perhaps your observational view? Yeah, well, that spiritual would be the third, maybe the most fundamental part. But first off, is doctors are really recruited for their um, more their analytical mental acumen these days. Uh, and you're, you know, you have to go through all these incredible prerequisites and, and, uh, you know, just things that keep you indoors for one thing and just keep you more in a mental state and you become more of a mental plane bookworm. And it's quite stressful just getting through pre-med. Then by the time you get into med school, you know, they, they pile it on, even though you're kind of part of the fraternity at that point. It's really um, the same formula they use in mind control uh, schools where, you know, they put you through a trauma-based experience and then program you. And so by the time you get out, you know, it really, uh, you know, becomes engrammed into your consciousness as far as the message they want you to convey. And at the same time, uh, you, I think you lose a little bit of touch with your humanity and uh, just your ability to connect on other levels other than just mental. And, you know, I think when you get into the spiritual aspect of it, uh, the first thing uh, uh, you learn is um, professional distancing, which is interesting since we're talking so much about distancing these days. But professional distancing is if you come to me uh, you know, with a problem, then I just want to be as blunt as possible about whatever the diagnosis is, uh, you know, absolutely no bedside manner and, um, you know, distancing yourself because at all costs, you don't want to resonate too much with the patient and become emotionally involved. So I, I think uh, I threw all that out the window, you know, early on and because it just didn't work for me and who I was. But I think there you have it. And then, you know, then you're in there in a practice and it has its own stress. People are coming to you um, with issues. And, you know, we uh, in, the, in the straight conventional side are taught to diagnose and label those symptoms as a disease. And then, of course, that disease has a whole resonant uh, energy field in and of itself. And there's no way as a doctor, you cannot be a participant or take on some of that energy yourself. I want to un un understand, and thank you so much for that explanation because it does make a lot of sense. The um, There's so much information out there about viruses, and I know you've probably covered this <laughs> every which way over the last 18 months and prior. The, the notion of the terrain theory and the germ theory and some people are uh, definitely in one camp, others are in the other camp. And and I wonder if there's many people that are in the middle that believe in both and what your perception is on the germ and the terrain theory as well, whether you could give us a, a, a summation or, a, or your perspective on how does it sure. all work? Yeah. Well, you know, early on I got into uh, camps, uh, professionals uh, from Europe predominantly, that were the old school bioterrain, uh, not just theorists, but practitioners, because to me, it's not a theory, it's a reality. 
And with that, I learned uh, microscopy techniques as well as hands-on clinical techniques that I brought to the table with the other things I learned through my various schooling. And um, the proof of the pudding is when people came to me as a doctor of last resort, because that's the role I played, most people came to me. We had a very busy practice. We had, you know, a couple of years in advance wait lists. We had a clinic, you know, with multidisciplinary uh, live-in situations because many people had to stay with us a little bit. Um, when we left the diagnosis, the disease concept or the pathogen concept behind and focused all of our attention with the tools we had to put the ecology back into order, just like I do on my farm. You know, I don't go out and slash and burn. If I know uh, some area in, in my farm is not thriving, I do testing and find out what's wrong with the ecology, especially on the microbial level and, uh, you know, put things right and sure enough, things flourish. And then in my practice and clinical years, I, I found the same thing with people. People would come in with all these incurable things. And of course, they came to me once they were already undergoing shock and awe treatment with chemo and everything else, you know, and so they were usually a wreck by the time they got here. And the other, uh, you know, doctors kind of just threw up their hands and said, get your affairs in order. But then most of the time we were able to bring them back to a state of health by focusing 100% on their ecology, their body, treating that instead of treating a disease. So, um, you know, I learned all the theoretical information first, as far as uh, how the germ theory was flawed from its start, how it was actually fostered by a Dr. Fauci type of that time. And, uh, you know, it was all a big political scam and it ushered in, you know, the new Rockefeller era of medicine, which has had untold suffering and casualties. So um, beyond theory, my clinical practice just proved that, wow, this actually worked and it worked with predictability and I always had an expectation of certain things, um, you know, resulting from the treatment because we had ways also to monitor and track and leave no stone unturned. And it had nothing to do with viruses or pathogens. Uh, one quick uh, note about viruses, there's never been proof that a virus exists. Uh, when I treated AIDS patients or hep C patients or any other kind of viral condition you can think of. Uh, it didn't matter what the test said, which are usually um, tests that were contrived to maybe most of the time test antibodies that were theorized to be, uh, you know, uh, associated with a certain virus, which was also a theory. So you have theories on layers of theories. And uh, I would treat these people again and, you know, with usually good results. And before uh, and after, sometimes the so-called virus uh, titers from the uh, extrapolated from the conventional test would indicate that maybe uh, the antibody level went down. Maybe sometimes it stayed the same. Uh, it didn't matter. So it really disassociated me from any um, idea that there was a connection in the first place. Hmm. When you talk about ecology, just for anybody that, that wants to really understand what you're talking about, take us through how you would view a patient when they came or a client or uh, a friend. And what are you looking for? What tests are you running? And then what is the intention 
with somebody that would come and see you in regards to their ecology? Because you didn't mention um, their emotional or spiritual place where they're at. Well, my intention was never to fix them because I knew that was beyond my capacity. Uh, God can fix things. Uh, the body made in the image and likeness also has the capacity to heal itself. So my job was to troubleshoot and find out exactly why that body was exhibiting symptoms. Now, symptoms are never a result of a disease. They are a result of a deficiency. And, uh, you know, the master plan of the universe is there is a very, um, a very definite formula. And that formula is based on resonance. And in the human body, that resonance is created by the elements that we think of as minerals or, you know, sometimes, uh, we can just kind of streamline and, and categorize them all within the 12 cell salts. And when those cell salts are in proper proportion, as in the original design, then they resonate with elements actually in the ether, the air, and create matter. That's how it works. In fact, when we eat food, it that's really not what gives us the nutrition. The nutrition, and this has been proven and known for a long time, uh, 70% plus of our nutrition comes directly from the atmosphere, but it's up to us to have those basic elements in there in order to be able to efficiently extrapolate what we need from the atmosphere in order to create the matter that is then going to resonate with the original blueprint, which will always be trouble-free. So my job, uh, I would first of all hear a little bit about their history, and I'd really delve in, get to know them a little bit. Because everybody is not only different biologically, but everybody is in a different place on their, we'll call, uh, spiritual journey. So I would never, uh, you know, I found it was very unproductive to try to bring somebody into a place where they just weren't there. And it's not a matter of good, bad, or otherwise. It's just we're all in different, you know, places on the same path. So uh, I would really, you know, my first thing is get to know them and really, you know, be able to meet them with uh, tools and, and a whole protocol to meet them where they're at. And uh, forgive me, I've got a little noise here. So, um, sorry. Should have unplugged that from the beginning. Um, yeah, so uh, it's not a matter of a right or wrong therapy. It's about meeting people where they're at. And uh, then I would follow up with a number of labs. And uh, my main laboratory assessment was microscopy. So I would take uh, drops of blood and I had a whole uh, you know, arrangement of slides that I would prepare and put different things on right uh, on different slides. It would give me control groups and and that whatever I was trying to discern more on the microbiological level, because we all have uh, uh, populations of these organisms inside of our body, and they are the little worker bees that you know life would not be possible without them. And these organisms, when they have a particular mission to accomplish. Uh, they actually 
morphologically change and go through some predictable life cycles that I saw thousands of times with my own eyes in the microscope. And you see one particular form per, perhaps change into a, uh, um, uh, a stage that we would consider uh, a fungus or a bacteria. And um, we would also know that, for instance, streptococcus is just a bacterial phase of uh, something that lives inside of us called penicillin notatum. And there's many of these different populations. So when I saw somebody with cultured as a strep throat, for instance, I would look under the microscope and find out, uh, you know, why these organisms were maybe stuck in that bacterial phase because bacterial phase was designed uh, you know, they'd be uh, provoked to go to a certain part of the body and then also go to that particular phase so that they could uh, scavenge uh, old uh, dead material and, and toxins, get them out of there, uh, secrete enzymes and things to do that, and also to stimulate stem cell production to help regenerate. And so all these organisms that we call pathogens in, um, you know, conventional microbiology, the way I first learned it. Uh, are really not pathogens at all. They are a particular life cycle, just like a maggot, you know, on an old dead deer carcass in the forest. It didn't kill the deer. It's there as part of nature's, uh, you know, cleanup. So that was the first thing that I would always do is really pay close attention to that level of reality. The other level uh, I did with labs that um, we call ionization analysis. And that would allow me to take chemical assays from the fluids of the body and then create mathematical uh, equations that uh, I would be able to see ratios and proportions of things. So in regular conventional labs, you just look at things, you, you, you know, you kind of um, compare things and try to put pieces together in a certain way. But you really miss a boat uh, because you're really not looking at the proportions. So something might be within normal limits, but then you look at something else and you realize, well, that's in an improper ratio. But the, the bottom line is the body is electrical. So all of our therapies uh, that I would uh, be able to conclude through this lab work would help me just tweak with certain um, basic elements to create a different electrical resistance level. And this electrical resistance level, when it's the way it was designed to be in the proper range, literally disease and even the concept of aging is impossible. Now, I've never seen anybody that was in the perfect range. Usually people are pretty out of whack, especially the people that came to see me. On the other hand, after therapy, we would see this trend uh, you know, almost a hundred percent of the time, if people did what we instructed them to do, that would, it would be going to that proper electrical resistance range. And when we got to that point of the, you know, kind of that path of least resistance, then that means the body was operating according, more according to its original design, which is a super conductor. And a superconductor, of course, is like zero point energy. You need very little input from the outside in order to keep it going. It becomes a perpetual uh, motion, self-maintaining, uh, self-correcting machine. And that's what the human body is. Wow, that's a lot to unpack. And I, I'm, I'm still going to get to uh, the basis of what I want to talk to you about today, but I believe this is setting up the foundation for where we're going. So thank you so much for that that explanation. And I'm probably going to have to 
listen to that a few more times to, to take it all in. But let's, can we condense what you've just talked about into a basic framework that you, if you had to give a TED talk for five minutes and, <laughs> and you had to generalize for the human population, what you have learned over the decades of not only helping others, but as I started this conversation off by being a living example of a, a vibrant, healthy, loving human being. What would you say if it was your last five minutes to the human population? How, how, to, how to live with that zero point system that you're talking about the best way you can? Well, the first thing I think we need to understand is that we are inseparable from all of nature, all of around, all around us. And what I was describing before with microbes and electrical resistance, uh, what that sets up is actually a communication system between ourselves and our external environment. And when that resonant communication system is established, then everything is self-maintaining. It's really that simple. Uh, I would also borrow on, you know, other tools that I was trained in, oriental medicine and osteopathy and all those things came to play. But bottom line, uh, it was really about getting your electrical uh, house in order and also understanding that microbes are the communication of our physical universe. And they're the ones that are sending informational fields back and forth between our internal body and our external environment so that there's a compatible resonance and a constant homeostatic uh, equilibrium being established between ourselves and our outside. And that is the definition of health. When we are in perfect resonance with our outside and inside, and it goes in both directions. I hope that makes some sense. Mm. So what I, what I can take from that is the closer to nature that you live and participate, the healthier you will become. The further away from nature or the disconnect from nature and the living and invisible world in which we inhabit, the more challenges we may face. Exactly. I couldn't put it better. Which is why you loved going surfing and you love being in the garden. And, and <laughs> yes, it seems to be. I mean, if when we look at the modern day dilemma of work and vacation, it's why people feel so fantastic when they go on vacation because they're connecting generally with nature. And they forget all their problems. And, you know, all that I, you know, explained initially, I know it sounds like a lot. But it really becomes very, very simple when you can wrap your mind around, you know, the basic constructs of how things work. And then all the tools that I learned in my schooling are meant to, uh, you know, just understand or have a, a very um, um, concrete system to discern uh, you know, if that compatibility between the environments is happening or not and what to do about it, if not. One of the things that I wanted to talk to you about today is 
solutions for what's going on in the world. And it's a, it's a huge topic, but, but I really wanted to dive into, there are a lot of people that have chosen to take a, a, an experimental vaccine at the moment for whatever reason, and I'm not here to judge anybody's choices because there, there seems to be a lot of people that have taken it because they've been coerced or they feel like they've been coerced and they didn't have any, they couldn't see a way around this to either keep their job or keep providing uh, themselves with an income for their, for their young family or to be able to visit their loved ones overseas or interstate. And I'm fully aware that our beliefs can dictate our, our, our health and everything that we perceive. So I have heard that you might be able to lend uh, some wisdom here for those people that have, for whatever reason, chosen to put something into their body that they may not have wished to have put in their body and what you would say to them or if there's any protocols that you've discovered or anything that um, you can help them with. Sure. It's really a lifetime work. And I believe it's what we're all here to do is to understand who we are in the first place and why we're making this journey in the first place. So um, it's really a spiritual journey as well. And it's also a spiritual war, in my opinion, as far as what's going on. And when you understand how the body works, as we were discussing, you realize that there's really nothing external to us that can hurt us in the natural order. Now, there are laboratory um, synthesized microbes, bioweapons, if you will. Uh, there are poisons that are being sprayed you know, into the sky and into the water, into the food stuff. Uh, those can all have their effects. But again, when our own body is in order, then all of those things can just move right through us and we feel untouched and we'll be untouched. And it explains exactly why in certain circumstances that we call epidemics and every epidemic without, um, without exception uh, in recent history is all coinciding with another level of the electrical grid intensifying, starting with the Spanish flu, uh, uh, you know, and continuing when radar was first introduced into the atmosphere during the world wars, uh, the introduction of microwave technologies as we have now, every new escalation brings the exact symptoms that we, uh, then associate with a certain pathogen or, you know, led to believe it's actually the result of an epidemic. So if, uh, we're in, you know, uh, proper equilibrium with the environment, we're going to fare a lot better. And it also explains uh, why some people succumb with symptoms and others don't. And really, uh, a lot of it has to do with your mindset. And I say this is number one. So the reason why people like you and I, I believe, are, are talking out publicly in the first place is um, just to share information so that people can maybe investigate for themselves and change their mind about things. Because the number one issue with the so-called pandemic is fear. And that fear, we can describe how on every level 
you know, down uh, beneath cellular to microbial to atomic, subatomic. It sets up the resonance that, you know, uh, makes us vulnerable to all these things we're being exposed to in the first place and also can just make us sick uh, in and of themselves. So it's really about losing the fear. And the fear is really, um, you know, the fear of death. That's what it all boils down to. And the political machinery uh, really does a fantastic, a brilliant job at cultivating that fear. And then that fear is, of course, what provokes most people to take medical procedures that maybe they would otherwise think twice about. It's uh, also, besides the fear of death, it's the fear of ridicule, the fear of being shamed, you know, within the general population that you're somehow a bad person for not doing what you're told. And uh, or you might even think that you have no choice because it's the law now. So that's why, you know, in our circles, we always go into the law itself. And, uh, you know, same as uh, in this country, as in your country, there is certain common law precepts and international law and just natural law, number one, that would reveal to us uh, very plainly that there is no authority over us. And the people that claim to have authority can be challenged very easily. Now, I know in your country, things are getting a, a little bit sketchy. You know, we're We've been watching you guys. We have our own issues over here. And I believe, you know, that's where they're trying to take us over here, too. But the fact is, is if enough people and we talk to a lot of people, you know, down under there that uh, are very knowledgeable about law versus the legal system, two different things. And they know very well that it's a big scam and that these people do not have the authority to do what they're doing. So. It's really incumbent on each of us, number one, to grow awareness. Number one, how, you know, what makes our body tick and why our body is so marvelous and impervious to anything if we've got our head on straight. And number two, nobody out there has a right to do what they're doing these days. And they are all guilty of crimes against humanity. And there will someday be Nuremberg type trials guaranteed that will bring a lot of these people to justice. But in the meantime, it's a little bit, um, you know, it's a little bit risky. I really hope you enjoyed the first half of this podcast. If you'd like to listen to the rest, please visit evolvenetwork.tv. That's evolvenetwork.tv. We'll see you there. The information, views and opinions expressed in this podcast should not be treated as a substitute for nutritional, medical, or other advice by a qualified professional. Guests in this podcast express their own opinions, experiences, and conclusions. Nothing in this podcast should be used to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any medical condition. Neither Pete Evans nor any sponsor endorse any views, opinions, or conclusions expressed or shared in this podcast.